This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. I think about how like the libertarian American, uh, I do what I want, freedom, just how incompatible it is with the sacrifice that needs to be made. Like I'm trying to imagine these MAGA morons, how they would have dealt with the Blitz in London. Like, I, I, I'm not going to turn my lights out. I have the right to have my lights. Shut the hell up. Like, I, I just... Don't I really you have the right that. to be... Uh, uh, Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, an interview show. My name is Nate and I'm your host today. Uh, today's episode isn't our normal interview, it's more of a conversation. And so, my guest today. Hi, it's Hope Take Bowling from the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. Uh, we decided to kind of have a conversation today for you all, laying out our situation here. Um, it's interesting, like, I know that uh, many of you follow me on my personal social media and so you've seen a lot of my posts. Uh, but in some ways, my posts have been commentaries about what's happening in the States and like my uh, terror looking at what's happening in the States and less about like our own life here. And so today we want to have a conversation about the COVID response back home from afar. Uh, I'm not going to lie. This idea for this show is kind of ripped off from our friends, Dave and Carol. Shout out Dave and Carol. Uh, so Dave and Carol for a long time hosted a soccer show called Hands Free Footy. And it was interesting. And in like the final season they hosted the show, uh, they were basically recording episodes in responses to political things in soccer. Uh, a lot of stuff about like anti-fascist activity and the Iron Front flag, which we covered here on the show. And uh, it got to be like an actual special where they'd be like, it's time for a special hands-free footy podcast. And so uh, I don't want that to become what this is, but I do want to say welcome to a special edition of the Nerd Former Podcast. It's also great to be special. So people like to feel special. Special editions. We like it. It's good. To get us rolling, do you think we should do a little bit of situating? Can you talk a little bit about the geography of like where we are? I mean, most people know that we moved to Abu Dhabi, I think, last summer to take on some amazing uh, teaching jobs here at a school, a local school, try a little venture, try a little something else in a different part of the world that we've never been to. Yeah. I think before I go to geographic situation, though, I want to talk about just time and date. Uh, so here on the network, we're trying to make sure that we give you uh, accurate information. And so we're having this conversation on Sunday, April 5th. It's about 4.30 p.m. Uh, Hope and I taught our first period classes this morning online. And then we had planning this afternoon. And now at 4, basically our school day is over with. Uh, to points, sorry, sorry, Hope's point about situation. Uh, I'm using the term situation in like a geographic sense because I still feel like a lot of people don't have a good vision of what life is like here. Um, I feel like people think that, so I actually don't think a lot of people know even what Abu Dhabi is and like the fact we're in the United Arab Emirates. And so like one thing I'll say is that like our geographic situation, like our placement is between Saudi Arabia and Iran on the Arabian Gulf. Don't call it the Persian Gulf. Uh, but like culturally where we are is more like an Arab Singapore than anything else. Like this is not Saudi Arabia at all. The thing is, I don't think people know a lot about Singapore anyway in the U.S., Fair. unfortunately, um, because it's a tall, a small, awesome country, um, and we kind of ignore that sometimes. Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, it's just like what you'd expect a modern city to be with uh, all kinds of advancements, access to pretty much everything you need. Um, certainly, it's a desert, but besides that, there's 
everything you could want. I've been describing this to people when I talk to them. I've, I've only been to Salt Lake, Salt Lake City twice, uh, but I think about like how Salt Lake City feels, like infrastructure-wise, like giant wide streets like we have here. Um, in many ways, like this city feels like a mix between Salt Lake City uh, and like its infrastructure, and then like the U.S. South in its sensibilities, right? Like public displays of affection aren't really a big thing. Uh, there's like a social conservatism that's definitely like an element here and not like political conservatism, like Trumpy, whatever, but like just like conservative dress, conservative behavior. Uh, but at the same time, like it's a very modern city. Like we have access to everything that we want. Like, hell, I might get five guys after this. They do a really nice job of delivery orders. That's true. Including their lettuce wraps. Not going to lie. It's pretty good if you're going low carb, <laughs> especially during your quarantine but as you know, I, any of you who've listened to my show or read any of my own um, writing, you know, I'm very adamant against uh, quarantine food shaming people. So eat those five guys, eat those fries, have that drink. Do you, Lou? I don't even know how we got there, but that's fine. Uh, when I mentioned Arab Singapore, your eye kind of switched a little bit. Will you? What were- well, we have very different frames of references. So even your Utah in the South, like for me and my frame of reference is really thinking a little bit more globally. For those people who've traveled, I would say... Again, think about it like Kuala Lumpur. I think about it as a bit more like Hong Kong in that sense, um, uh, a bit thriving, maybe not quite as bustling because there's just not as much traffic in such a condensed area. But if you've traveled abroad, you kind of understand that that feel or that heartbeat. It's a typical city, I think, in that sense. Well, and so the Emirate that we're in, Abu Dhabi, is the capital of the United Arab Emirates. And it actually geographically is the largest of the seven Emirates. So UAE is actually kind of like a odd mirror of the United States. It's a federal system. So you have basically each emirate is like a state and each state is uh, largely independent and can kind of do what it wants on a lot of things. And so Dubai is like the most famous emirate and that's to the south of us. Yeah. Before we arrived, um, someone described it as Dubai is like Las Vegas and then the U- and then Abu Dhabi is more like Seattle. And I think that that stands that comparison. And that's interesting. I, I think about Chicago, but yeah, same idea, same idea. Um, so yeah. I'm sure ahead. our listeners are tired of our comparisons now. They're like, oh, you've traveled so many places. Okay, yes, fine. we have. Fine, fine. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Um, what do you think is like the overall vibe that we're feeling from our colleagues here? Like what's, what's, what's it feel like here? Um, under the quarantine and kind of the coronavirus feel, I think um, we are in our fourth week of remote. Oh no, fifth week. Yeah. Sorry. We are in a, we just started our fifth week of remote learning. And um, in our particular school, we started earlier than the rest of the country just because of the way things happen to line up with our spring break. Um, And so in that sense, I think people have gotten comfortable with the process and some of the routine of remote learning. I think at the same time, um, some of the workload and some of the realities of being in this for the long haul have started to um, hit people. I think there's some context, though, like in terms of the UAE that helps us process um, the coronavirus and just quarantine life in a different way. And so for one, one of the biggest pieces I would argue is the healthcare system here and just sure. the general approach um, to maintaining calm in the city and keeping people feeling happy and safe and able to go to work or take care of their families. I mean, you can speak a little bit to the way the healthcare system is set up. Well, and so I'm not a super expert on the healthcare system, but like if I have my understanding right, uh, I would describe it as a multi-payer system. So, like, the UK and Canada have single-payer. This country has multi-payer. And the best way that I've kind of seen it explained is is that if you are an Emirati national, you basically get, like, Emirates Medicare or Medicare for All or, uh, like, the NHS in the UK. Uh, If you are a guest worker like we are, uh, then you basically get into an Obamacare scheme where you have employee-provided health care that I think is subsidized by the government. And so 
I find it interesting. I have a lot of progressive friends who like her Medicare for all or die. And like, if you put Medicare for all on the ballot tomorrow, I'd vote for it for sure. Uh, but what's more important to me is universal coverage, not how you get there. And so this is a country that has achieved universal coverage and like did it in the seventies. Uh, like, hello, since the seventies, uh, without doing a single payer system. And like, I think given the politics of the United States and the addiction that we have in the U S to the free market and like market choice that like, that's actually a, a not a bad avenue for us to explore. So actually, can you talk about healthcare a little bit? Because you, uh, you, you were ill earlier on this year and like we went to Cleveland clinic. Uh, what were your experiences like with healthcare here? Oh, um, I think one, uh, all of the employees. So one of the things about the UAE is it's pretty much, um, mostly people from other countries. We have over 200 different countries represented and languages, cultures represented within that. And so um, one of the things that's often provided is healthcare through your employer. And I think that's one of the benefits of being here. It was wonderful. I cannot tell you a lot of times in the U.S. when I've gone in to pick up my medications at a pharmacy or go to an appointment, depending on the clinic, um, I've often, you feel sicker when you're sitting there and you're waiting to like pick up your medications or whatever. And that's just completely not the atmosphere here. Everything's extremely efficient. Um, lots of people touch bases with you throughout the time. Like they are, um, they have a, a system where if it's beyond, you know, 10 minutes or something, they check in with you. I, I don't know exactly how many minutes it is um, for each interpersonal connection, but it actually just makes you feel like you you matter and you're supposed to be there. I also think, um, to be fair, like the healthcare workers aren't worked the same way that they are in the U.S. And so some of those demands that make it impossible for, um, shout out to all the nurses and all the medical care um, workers right now, they're just working their butts off in the middle of this crisis. Um, so no, no shade at all to that, but it's just a very different feel. Um, even little cultural things like the Arabic coffee is a big thing here and serving dates with it to offset the flavor of it. Like there's a little cute kettle set on the side with little dates next to it. You can just go like serve yourself. Um, or sometimes they'll even have a person who's like pouring it for you as you sit and you wait for your appointment. And just even that frame is just like, wait, what? Um, and then of course, like there's male and female sections and then there's family sections. So there's just a lot of different little, um, things, but overall the care is fantastic and it's, it's quite affordable. I don't want this to come off like us sounding like the chamber of commerce, but, um, I often think that progressive people in the United States, uh, lionize and, Fetishize is too strong, but it's in the neighborhood, uh, Northern European uh, social democracy and Northern European healthcare. But I think the world actually has a lot to learn from Asia. Uh, I am fed up, frankly, with the writer Matthew Iglesias from Vox. And like I've unfollowed him on social media and I can't deal with his nonsense right now. But one of the points he made on a recent podcast I listened to was, was that the United States should maybe look less to Scandinavia and Sweden and look more to what he termed, and I actually like the term a lot, he termed the Eastern uh, sorry, the East Asian democracies. Mm -hmm. So like what's happening in South Korea, what's happening in Japan, what's happening in Taiwan, because all three of them have had a better corona response than the United States has. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I'll kind of throw out there for this conversation, uh, thinking about scale is, is that UAE has a population of about 9 million people, which means it's about the same population as New York City and the same population as Washington State. And so when we're talking about numbers or talking about the situation, like that's kind of the scale that we're dealing with. Um, I wonder if we could kind of walk through a timeline of how the virus has looked from our eyes. Uh, Hope, when was the first time, like, so the first outbreak of the virus, like the first confirmed case was back in like November, like November 17th, I want to say 2019. Uh, but I don't think any of us were talking about it. What was the first like moment that you heard about the virus that came into your consciousness? 
Um, well, I think it's always at the back of my mind. And I'll be honest, um, much like I think many of us, we always have something that we're just not paying attention to. And so as I was reading the news and thinking about other parts of the world, um, I had coronavirus like on the back and the periphery, right? So on that back burner of my stove, if I'm going to use a cooking metaphor as I want to do. Um, and so it was like, you know, reading an article here or there and being like, wow, that's pretty bad. Oh, that's pretty bad. But I think it really wasn't until, um, February that I think it started to come to the forefront of my consciousness. Um, and then it suddenly felt like it just really came to the forefront and kind of escalated. I think in part that was because of the way things were handled in this country and just in terms of, a quick response to the fact that it was spreading. Um, how about you? What was kind of your first awareness? I think it was a little earlier for me because I happen to be in Shanghai. Um, I'm the advisor here for the Model UN Club. Uh, and so I accompanied my students to a thing called CISMUN, which was a UN conference in Shanghai. And so I was actually in Shanghai in January 14th through the 20th. And like, I remember getting some very panicky emails from parents in the lead up to uh, our departure. It was only a couple of them. And like, Frankly, in hindsight, like I was wrong because I was kind of dismissive of their concerns. Uh, one of the people who was really worried was a dad uh, who uh, who's a doctor, and he was very concerned about like his kid's safety. And in hindsight, like it's kind of wild. Like we were in Shanghai uh, January twentieth. Like we flew out that day, and in fact, it was interesting for me to like get back here and see that they closed Shanghai Disneyland. Like we went to Shanghai Disneyland. Like I went on Pirates of the Caribbean three times, and so being in china when the outbreak first started in wuhan and kind of seeing them ramp up and essentially i was in china at the moment that they locked wuhan down but they didn't lock down the rest of the country uh yet and so like that's when it came on my radar but like not in a real serious manner yeah and i'm not going to pretend like i am not privileged enough to um ignore it for a bit i think that's one of the problems um and par probably part of the cause of why this virus has spread so much um, really started to get uh, real, I think, when we were looking at traveling for our spring break and people started to ask, well, are you going to keep, are you going to fly? Because we were going um, to Indonesia. And so I was like, well, of course we're going to fly. What are you talking about? And then I started to realize, hey, I need to read up on this and pay a little more attention to what's going on. And then, of course, like, um, not to get too much into it, but as we were flying, just all the precautions that we were encountering that really made it real, just the way people at the airports were responding. And this was long before I think there were any closures. Um, the funny thing about the timeline and like the awareness is everything actually has happened really, f in some ways it's been so slow and other ways it's been really fast. Sure. And so I think we joke about like, is it day four or is day 167 or is it day 789, whatever. And for, especially if you have kids or like pets or you feel like trapped um, in your house or you're just kind of getting tired of each other. But I think, um, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit hard to set to say when something happened or how those things changed. But I think there are little bits gradually over time. Our school closed. That was one of the big factors. Well, before the school closure, you mentioned spring break. And so, like, uh, our spring break is February 20th to the 27th. It's pretty early spring break. And I had the experience of handing my passport to somebody. Uh, and they saw a passport stamp for China uh, in my passport. And this is in the airport in Indonesia. And, like the look on their face was pretty aggressive. Uh, it was a heightened response basically. Uh, and I, it, it really stuck out to me that like, yeah, I was in China when the, out, when the, the virus broke out. Uh, I wasn't infected by it. Like, but they shut off travel to China or from China to UAE, like not that long after we got back, like mm -hmm. it was a really close window. And so the Indonesian authorities were, were very, uh, aware and very alert uh walking through the indonesian airport in bali they had the uh, thermometer guns kind of pointed at us to take our temperature uh 
there was actually one moment where I was like, we were on the beach and a guy walked up to us to kind of sell us a timeshare uh, and hand us a flyer. And he like had a dry cough and he coughed on me. And I was like, hope, oh my God, that man just gave me Corona. Nate basically took a shower and hand sanitizer right after that. I'm a cautious man. Yeah. But I, I guess that's the point, right? Is like, like it, 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 it wasn't really real. That was still even kind of like a joke that like, oh, I got Corona from that guy. Uh, I don't know how that guy's doing right now. Uh, Hope, could you talk about how we were notified that school was closing and like what your response was, how that felt? Yeah, so we were um, sitting in our Airbnb in Bali um, and we were getting emails from our administration here um, that I extremely, really, really appreciate. And so there were quite a few consecutive emails, emails that were kind of like, hey, we're looking at possibility of closing and then just kind of ramping up. And so in some regards, we kind of were laughing about like, ooh, what's the email going to say today? And we were kind of joking around about it, um, particularly when we started to realize that our school was likely going to go to virtual learning or remote learning. Um, not going to, we all were, had the thought of like, oh, should we go back to the U.S. and like do remote learning from there in the same way that many teachers in China and, and Korea and various places had done as well. If I may, I, I actually had the idea of let's just stay in Indonesia because our Airbnb was dope and Bali is ph- phenomenal. But terrible. Well, those were both ideas that were floating around, sure. Um, but the, the funny thing is like one second or half a millisecond after um, the thought of like, hey, we could you know teach from the States. Um, I also was like, wait a second. In Washington, it's a million times worse than it is here. And there's just a lot of things that were just like immediate responses right after the fact. Um, and yes, you wanted to stay longer in Bali. That's true. Yeah, that's, that is true. That's on brand. I mean, you know, it makes sense. It was nice out. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out that Washington state was at the forefront of the outbreak on the front end, but actually there's a lot of good news about back home. Uh, like they seem to be bending the curve. Uh, well, the situation of that nursing home in Kirkland is like tragic. And like, frankly, people should go to jail for that, pay fines for that. And like, if you want to talk about guillotines, like I'm not gonna argue with you, by the way, like this is radicalizing me. Like I'm, uh, I, I, I'm just like, let's lob off some domes. Like for real, like the, don't make that face. We escalated this conversation real fast. Well, no, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying that revolutionary France had some ideas about how to deal with greed, and that like when I look at the actions of like the senators who engaged in insider trading, like I I wouldn't be mad. Uh, but for you, I think um, the, for me, I'm a, I, I kind of like noticing little gradual changes, and I try to like take pictures of signs and different things that kind of indicate to me the subtle changes. And so I noticed when like suddenly there was hand sanitizer um, at like uh, in you know in the front places of like every restaurant and at Starbucks and all over the school. And I noticed little things like um, any service worker started wearing a mask. Like they started wearing masks here really early. Well, because they have masks, right? And that's that's part of the response. Like in the back half of the show, like we need to talk about supplies and like the available supplies. Like I walked to the pharmacy yesterday and bought a box of masks for like 50 cents each. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah, no, I was just noticing um, just kind of little little things to me. But you had some like big markers. I think we just have a different way of looking at the impact of closure. So, I mean, you were pretty upset about um, some footy some footy news. Do you want to get into that? Well, so we're 13 hours bu- sorry ahead of the West Coast of the United States right now. And so I oftentimes like wake up to the day, hap- like to the end of the day back home. And so like I remember on May 13th, I actually have a screen cap of the tweet. Uh, I woke up and I saw that like Congress was talking about a bailout. And it's worth pointing out, by the way, that this is the second consecutive Republican administration where, like, there's a massive crisis in their final year and the country has to bail them out. That's like a sign to me. Uh, Arsenal's coach uh, had the coronavirus. Uh, The Brazilian president was rumored to have the virus. President Trump was saying he wouldn't be tested. 
uh, the EPL, the NCAA uh, tournament, Bundesliga and uh, La Liga were all canceled. And then schools in Tacoma announced they'd be canceled uh, through late April. That was like all in like one night when I woke up. And like, that was when I was like, oh, this is real. And frankly, that's later than a lot of smart folks realized it. But like from that moment, it became very, very real to me. That was the same weekend that um, they closed down movie theaters here. They had already closed down museums like the week prior and some big public entertainment spaces. Um, But they closed down movie theaters. And one of my funniest anecdotes from that is... They walked once it was declared that the movie theaters are closed. They just rolled into movies that were going on and were like, "You're done here," and basically yeah. kicked people out, which makes perfect sense. But it's just so funny. Like those people were sitting there trying to finish up Invisible Man, or like, "What happened at the end?" Like, had no idea. By the way, if you haven't seen Invisible Man, it's available on demand. It's really dope. You should watch it. Like we went to the theater on Friday before it closed on Saturday, so it's kind of funny thinking about. And then also that week, and basically that weekend, gym started closing down. I mean, it's just a gradual progression. Like, like, oh, what's closing or what has, who has Corona now? Like, like Nate said, it's just a constant news kind of coming through. And I think that it just added to, it's not necessarily shock, but when you're like, um, we have such a wave, it's like, oh, here's another wave. Oh, here's another wave. I, I just liken it to, you know, a wave pool or like being at the ocean where you just have it kind of pouring over you and you're like, okay, pull my swimsuit up, stand up again. I'm fine. And then just like another wave hits you and you're like, okay, there's another one. All right. Wipe the salt out of my eyes. Okay, here we go. And then like another one hits you. Yeah. I think that's a good place to actually for us to take a break. And so like when we come back, we'll talk about how this has felt for us as educators in school. And then we'll talk a little bit about like how the response here feels and compare the response here to back home. And then we have a couple of listener questions we'll take. We'll be back. This is Doug Mackey, producer of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. PLU is expanding its graduate program and creating more and more ways for you to continue your education. A master's from PLU can take your career to the next level, or it might just be the thing you need to pivot to something you've discovered you're passionate about later in life. The master's in kinesiology is a whole new graduate program, adding on to PLU's decades of experience with advanced degrees in nursing, education, fine arts, marketing, and more. Think about PLU as a sort of training ground for what comes next. Earn your spurs here and then ride your new master's degree into the sunset. Best of all, if you live in Tacoma, PLU is just down the street. That means there's no Seattle traffic between you and your degree. To request more information or attend an info session, visit plu.edu slash graduate. My thanks to PLU for their sponsorship of Channel 253. And we are back. I would like to thank you for downloading and listening to the show. If you are enjoying this conversation, which I hope you are, and you've enjoyed past episodes of the show, or if it's your first time listening, um, I hope that you will consider becoming a member of Channel 253. You can join Channel 253 for $4 a month or $40 a year, and your membership will help us continue to make podcasts like this, where we tell stories and get points of view uh, that are focused on City of Tacoma. And in the backside of this episode, we're going to talk a lot about like our observations of what's happening in Tacoma. Uh, so that's channel253.com slash membership. It's $4 a month or $40 a year. Uh, it's cheaper than cable. It's cheaper than Netflix. It's worth it. You should do it. It's cheaper than your latte. <laughs> From a reference. Your latte. Um, can you talk, or oh, I think we should talk a little bit about the uh, early transition to, air quotes, remote learning here, and kind of the heroic effort that like our school leadership kind of took on in order to get us there. Uh, go ahead. 
Yeah, I uh, I know there's a ton of work behind the scenes. I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the situation that I'm in right now. Um, and I, I think any good leadership, right, has spent time thinking about what is on the horizon. Um, and we've had the privilege of working for a lot of amazing principals through the years and, and different schools around the world, actually. Big shout to uh, Pat Irwin, my, my, my OG. Yeah. And so I think one of the things to be said is just the leadership that's happening around the world when it comes to education and people who realized what was going to go on and started to you know, not to get a literature teacher on you, but like foreshadowing of what was to come. And so making plans for how to transition to a remote context, what that would look like. We are very lucky in the sense that we have, we are a one-to-one school, as they call it. So all of our students have access to a laptop um, and that's part of the curriculum. Teachers are trained to use Google Suites or Google Classroom. And just like, there's a lot of services that are just kind of integrated in. And so one, uh, actually my concern when I moved here was I was a little bit worried that I wouldn't, you know, I'm not coming from that environment in the States and my previous school. And so I was a little bit worried about adapting to that. But I think um, not only have I adapted, but have used those tools effectively. And I really appreciate the fact that we were able to transition. I think that also allowed us to do some innovation. Um, and what's the phrase like crisis is what leads to innovation. I'm sure there's a better quote than that. Yeah. Um, but essentially, right, this is an opportunity to rethink the way that you normally do things. And I think that's something that I had to reconcile my with even myself with even in the very beginning. I, I don't know how for you when you heard that we were going remote, you had some pretty strong reactions, Nathan. Well, a couple of things. You said that we're lucky. I'll go one step further and say we're privileged. Like we're working at an international school where like our student population is fed and taken care of at home. Um, And so like one of the appealing things about moving here for me was that like my job was just to become a teacher again. And so like I don't have to worry about like my students' life needs being met. They're being met. So I can really focus on teaching and instruction. And I look back in the States and I see like a real bifurcation. There's a Twitter thread that I'll try to put in the show notes. I'll try because I always forget stuff. Um, And it talks about there's two types of schools, A schools and B schools. And that's not grading, but like at schools like the one we're at, uh, kids have readily readily available technology, uh, district assigned email addresses they're actually familiar with and use. And like technology exists through Google Classroom, Schoolology. Uh, I don't want to be like a, a, a commercial for school software, for ed tech companies, but like ed tech is like integrated into the learning and, and the routines. And so for them, spinning up to remote learning has been easy is the wrong word, but like less problematic and less of an adventure. Um, and then on the other hand, the author calls like B schools and those are schools like the one we came from. And that's like no shade or smoke towards the staff in those schools or the families. Uh, but like they aren't one-to-one laptops, uh, are not a part of everyday instruction. Uh, home internet isn't guaranteed for every kid. And so for places like that, like Lincoln high school and a lot of Tacoma schools, uh, this ramp up has been really, really difficult. And I've watched some people who I really care about and frankly love back home, like really breaking their necks in order to make a situation work. And like they are not being set up for success. Mm-hmm. And I've I've talked enough in my Ed keynotes, I'm not gonna repeat this, but like for Washington State to be the home of Boeing, Microsoft, Starbucks, Costco, Nordstrom, all these multinational corporations, to be home to like the two richest people in the world, Bill Gates and uh, Jeff Bezos, for us not to be able to supply technology to students in schools, and every kid in Washington State's a crying shame. And uh, I hope on the backside of this crisis, there's like a Marshall Plan of technology where we decide that like we're not going to allow this to happen again, and we put technology in every kid's hands because like it's necessary for education. It's an equity issue, and oh, the equity issue. We actually talk about that. Like you've had some. Well, first I want to say shame. Shame, because usually we need a shame bell right here at this point. I think what you're talking about, though, is like there's a ramping up that needs to happen. And I would say in my own experience, the learning curve to shift to full remote learning 
is steep, but I just imagine it being far steeper if my students didn't understand how to work Google Classroom. And there's still plenty of kids that are struggling with that, right? I just, I think about um, how much harder it is for many of the people that I care about, as you mentioned, um, care about and love back home that are working their butts off and, and trying their best to reach students and to meet those various needs that are represented in their classroom in this current crisis. And so shout out to all of them that are just working really hard and, and getting really creative about how to approach this. Well, and it was wild for us because we landed back from Bali on Friday. And then we basically had Saturday to kind of adjust to the time change. And then our school canceled class on that Sunday. And so, so we, so we could have intentional PD and over that weekend, all, like I said, on the back end of things, leaders and stakeholders were pulled in to help create and launch this program essentially. And we were up and running on Monday, which to me is pretty incredible considering that like school was canceled, I think on Wednesday. Um, I'll also add at this point that like I'm fully aware that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And so like shouts to teachers who've been doing this for far longer than us, like in South Korea and in Thailand and in China. Um, I've started following and talking to a few teachers who were over there and like they're heroes, frankly. Uh, it's interesting. Our school superintendent sent us a like attaboy, nice job letter yesterday. It was a beautiful email. Uh, and it said like, congrats on making it through like, making it to week number five. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's like only 12 more weeks to go. And I was like, no, 12 <laughs> more weeks. That's a, that's a, that's a run. Yeah. I was really lucky to get added to a group on Facebook, which sounds not lucky at all. Yeah, but, that sounds um, like, I've never, I've never said those words before. <laughs> um, I was added by another friend who is working over here. And um, essentially it was, it's for educators who are dealing with school closures. And I just creeped on that Facebook group basically for a couple of weeks um, leading up to our own closure um, or switched to remote learning. I should say we're not closed. Um, and so with that in mind, like there are people doing this, have been doing it a really long time in various places around the world. And it's amazing what they're doing um, and shouts to all of them. So I think one of the things I've been struck by with this whole thing is just like, how easy it is to feel like you're the only one experiencing something in yeah. this type of way and to feel the isolation. And I don't really know how to reconcile with it because I don't think it's helpful necessary to say to someone, Hey, why don't you go look at this thing? You're not alone, but also like, go look at this thing. You're not alone. And so I've constantly wrestled with that, um, with talking with friends back in the States, like, how can I support you? I also am not in your same context, but also you don't have to do this by yourself. And there are people Ton, thousands of people around the world that have have are figuring it out, have figured it out, and we need to be using those resources um, and using that expertise. I, I think there's just something I've said this before, like just something super myopic about how things are in the states. Uh, how you're operating actually with this and being a role model for other people is like a model for how people with privilege should act. Like we have a privileged existence here. Like we. We have our kids' needs are met. We have technology in place. And then we're trying to model for other folks like how they can do the work. Uh, I, I think it's demonstrative that we were able to spin up in a remote learning system basically in three days. And that in other municipalities and locations back home, like we're going on three weeks before it's spun up. And like that's that's not because like we're better people or our leaders are smarter. It's just the infrastructure was already in place. Yeah, I think one thing that's telling is when the UAE government decided to close schools, they aligned... Um, school closures with spring break so that schools could then shift into remote learning. And so the plan was um, a, a month of school closure, like traditional school clothing, 
closures. So two weeks of spring break, we just sorted out and then two weeks of remote learning. And then the idea was to go back into the classroom, like a traditional classroom setting, um, which they just announced this week that wasn't going to happen. So even just that intentionality, I think about all my friends back in the States who are currently on their spring break um, and just how that could have been utilized in a different way, I think for, and maybe is for leadership behind the scenes that are kind of sorting through some of the, some of the difficulties. Yeah, for sure. And the two weeks spring, it was it was interesting for us because when everybody else started remote learning, we'd already been doing remote learning uh, for like a, a multi-week period. And it was funny because like that first day that the rest of the country came online, uh, internet was trash because like you have every child in the country basically trying to get online at the same time. And then when we moved to our first like lockdown weekend when they were doing the sterilization and sanitation um, internet was also bad because not only was every student at home but like every parent was at home too watching netflix probably and so that was interesting as well nate can you talk about what is a sterilization process here could you just threw that in there like nbd so you've if you're on social media you've probably seen some of the videos that came out of china where like you basically have these giant like tanker trucks that are driving around and spraying uh sterilizing fluid on things and so currently here in Abu Dhabi, uh, there's an 8 p.m. curfew. Uh, and basically, you're not allowed outside of your home after 8 p.m. And then trucks are driving around sterilizing the entire town afterwards. And, like, it's a curfew and a lockdown, like, for sure. And, in fact, I, I support it. Like, I'm like, lock it all down. It's still 6 a.m., yeah. So yeah. it's a reasonable amount of time. It feels, quote-unquote, reasonable. Uh, we live on the 39th floor. And so, like, we can walk out to our balcony. And I usually do this about 8 p.m. and just see how empty the streets are. Uh one of the probably most important streets in the entire country is the Corniche, and it basically runs uh, along the beach toward the Royal Palace. Uh, we can see it from here, and like it, it stops. And then another uh, important street that we can see from our window is the uh, they call the Old Airport Road or Khalij Al Arabi, which is like the Persian Gulf Road, and like it stops. And so, like, the city literally shuts down at 8 p.m., and, like, you have to have explicit permission or be in a specialized, like, career field in order to be out. And, in fact, we don't even order takeout afterwards or delivery. Like, we make sure we get a delivery order before 8 o'clock because of that. Um, can you talk just in general, Hope, about, like, the, 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 the incremental ratcheting? Because you phrased it really well when we were talking before we started recording about how, like, they started off with, okay, we're going to do this, and now we're going to do this, and now we're going to do this, and then, like... We're to the point now where Dubai is announced. And so one way to think about Abu Dhabi and Dubai is that, like, think about Abu Dhabi as being Washington State and Dubai as being California. And there's no Oregon, as it should be. There's, like, no Oregon in the middle, right? And so, like, that's the, the, the kind of relationship between the two. About the, the ratcheting, do you want to go? Um, well, I think I mentioned it earlier, just like the incremental um, layers of safety and prevention methods. And in part, that's because that's because of the testing that is happening at a consistent pace here. And so as more cases are discovered, as more people are recovering um, regarding with the, you know, struggling with COVID-19, um, there's also just different measures to help respond to that. And I, I really actually appreciate that level of it because I think, um, I, I suppose someone could look at it and be like, oh, you're, you know, it's like that frog boiling in a pot or whatever, you know, you don't notice that it's getting worse and worse. But I actually feel like it, it gives me some comfort in that because it's not just like extreme measures all of a sudden that feel like shocking, um, but it's also directly in response to what is and isn't working. And it's in response to like, scientific data and reports about what has worked around the world. And I, I also feel comfort in that. Um, the other thing I want to uh, throw out here in terms of like the concerted effort to contain the disease, there's, 
this element of like, if you have personal sacrifice where, you know, quote unquote sacrifice, like I have to wear a mask and I can only stand in the elevator with two other people and my Starbucks is closed or whatever, right? Like some of these personal sacrifice pieces. Um, and I say that with that kind of, you know, voice, cause I understand that's not really sacrificing. Um, at the same time, I understand that my sacrifice is in relation to a bigger thing that's happening. So as you mentioned, sterilization. And one of the things that I think that's really tough in a place like the United States is that some people are working really hard and giving a lot of personal sacrifice. They're staying in their homes. Um, they've lost their job. Like they've lost income when it comes to work and jobs. And they're like feeling the, the stress of that, right? And then you have the contrast of that, whereas other folks who are just like out hugging everybody and, you know, having services with a bajillion people and whatever, whatever. And so I just think about that contrast that I think makes it really tough to feel like there is a concerted effort to, um, yeah, to, to make a difference here. I'll go one step further and say that one of the realizations I've had is that the American version of freedom that currently dominates pop culture, which is like the libertarian infused, uh, soaring eagle, do what I want version of freedom is like not compatible with like the attitude you need to have during a crisis. And I think what is happening right now to me is commensurate to whatever 9-11 happening. Like, it's more deaths. Uh, and I think about how, like, the libertarian American, uh, I do what I want, freedom, just how incompatible it is with the sacrifice that needs to be made. Like, I'm trying to imagine uh, these MAGA morons, how they would have dealt with the Blitz in London. Like, uh, I I'm not going to turn my lights out. I have the right to have my lights. Shut the hell up. Like, I, I just, I really you have the right that. to be, uh, uh, or like you have the right to do this thing that's good for you, but not for anybody else. You have the right to not think of anybody. And I, I think that there's combating like cultural and social, um, norms when it comes to that. I think there's a lot of pockets of communities in the U S that, that are oriented to the greater good and are oriented to the community and do care about other folks. Um, but you're right. There's this very loud, very outspoken, independent. So I, you can't tell me what to do. And the moment that the governor tells me to do this thing is when I'm going to protest and, you know, stand outside the Walmart and get you to sign this petition and whatever, do all the stuff. I've realized that like, that was a subtweet. It, it was for sure. <laughs> we, sh we need to just not listen to Twitter libertarians anymore, by the way, like libertarian Twitter gets like way more sway in policy conversation than it deserves. And like libertarian Twitter can shut the hell up because what happens with American policy is, is that in moments of crisis, we turn towards socialism. And so if the response, if the appropriate response in this moment is socialism in a crisis, then the appropriate response is socialism always. Um, and I'm not talking about... Don't make this a socialist country, Nate. I know what you're trying to push for in America, and you could just take your Bernie bros and go somewhere else. I don't even know where to start with that. I'm going to move on. I'm just going to move on. Um, um, so let's take this to Tacoma and take a look at like what's going on there. I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, another show on the network recorded a conversation with a public health official in Tacoma, and uh, I listened to it. Uh, I'm not sure it came out yet or it's going to come out, but I was pretty shocked uh, at the advice that was being given. It, it, it seems to me that like that Trump Dr. Drew, and by the way, who saw the Dr. Drew heel turn coming by the wow, have it, different conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm a little taken aback by the extent to which looking at back home, people feel like they have no direction on what to do. Uh, Craig Saylor is a former uh, host, sorry, a former guest at Adult Civics Happy Hour and is a reporter for the News Tribune uh, who I follow on social media and consider to be a friend. 
And essentially, like, he has a respiratory infection that could be COVID and could be pneumonia. And he has been cataloging his uh, interactions with public health and with hospitals back home. And it's really shocking to me that, like, I feel like, so, so, so one, there's no, like, what is the Trump administration's, like, plan? Like, what's their agenda? What's their, what's their narrative? It's non-existent. It changes day to day, whatever that's there. But also, I feel like Joe or Jane or Jose or what's female? Juanita citizen uh, has no real direction on like, what to do. Like if you feel sick and you're in the States, like what do you do? And, and this is exacerbated uh, by the fact that many people back home have employer provided healthcare and employer provided healthcare in a period of pandemic when people didn't lay off their jobs don't work. And like the COBRA system is a mess as well. Like I, I'm, I'm taken aback watching the response back home and I'm, honestly saddened because to me it's just like demonstrative of the level of dysfunction and the level of brokenness of the social safety net and again i hope that like on the back side of this there's a, there's like some revolutionary change because like it's it's really showing to us like what needs to happen and what's broken in society well i think a big contrast to sh- kind of to share that contrast like if i start to feel sick here i can go get tested quickly. Um, and I can get tested for free if I feel sick. And if I don't feel sick, I can go get tested. Well, and can I add cost that that's drive through testing as well? So like, Oh yeah, there's both. There's normal testing and we just set up a drive through testing so I can pay to get drive through tested. It's 97 us dollars. So if I'm feeling some type of way and I want to go get paid, well, I want to go pay and do that. I can, I can set up an appointment and do that. So one, I feel like I have access to that. And then I, there are hospital beds and hospital wards set aside to take care of me to make sure that I'm quarantined and not infecting anybody else. And then when I come to like a healthy enough place to go home, then there's self-quarantine happens. Every account that I've read and heard coming out of the U.S. is you go to the hospital and you get tested. Essentially, there's not enough space for people to t- be taken care of. And so folks are constantly being dismissed to just go home then and do the quarantine at home with their family members. I was just listening to an interview or a story on the daily about that. And this woman who is taking care of her husband at home and it's just like her and her daughter are there they are. And they, they do check-ins at the hospital, but there's just no capacity to um, be quarantined at a hospital and to get care in that particular way. Yeah. And I think it's important to take all numbers you hear from anybody with a grain of salt about outbreaks. Um, we talked in class this morning about how uh, the president or prime minister of Equatorial Guinea said at one point, like, we have zero cases of corona, dot, 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 because I, we, we have no tests. Uh, but I talked earlier on about how, like, I view being here as like being in an Arab Singapore. Uh, the government here has basically taken on the South Korean model of dealing with the virus. Uh, Masks are mandated to be worn in, t- in public because masks are available, like you mentioned earlier on. Yeah, and that just happened a couple of days ago. The at, like the mandated everyone wearing masks, not just service workers, and then gloves just got instituted like yesterday. Well, even before that, like you talked about going to care for, and there was a guy with a thermometer gun, and they wouldn't let you. Yeah, wear that's masks. about five days ago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so here in the Emirates, we've had uh, one thousand five hundred and five confirmed cases, and that number is increasing, but not exponentially. Uh, and then of that, there's been ten deaths, and so. Again, this this country is about the size of Washington State, size of New York City. Uh, whatever they're doing here is working. It's one of the things that drove me crazy was when President Trump was talking about like when the weather warms up, the virus will dissipate because he takes care of viruses. And I'm like, hello, like Iran's climate. And why is the virus in all these hot places? Facts, right? <laughs> and so I, I just I, I I just find myself often struck by how 
dysfunctional the response seems and then also like how many americans just seem like averse to data information and information like there's an information bubble that is uh, it appears to be impenetrable and i i don't know like how to get around that like i i'm actually really lucky and feel really blessed like whenever i call my mom talk my mom on the phone which i'm doing more often i can hear uh chris hayes and rachel maddow in the background blaring and but there's i I posted a tweet like in, in early March and I was like, you need to, I was like my alabaster brother and sisters. So like white folks, uh, check on your Fox news, watching in-laws because, uh, the Fox news misinformation machine that was going then was endangering them. And like, I've rarely felt more validated by anything in my entire life as I do. Well, validate is the wrong word, but I've really felt more right about anything that I feel about that tweet. And like what we've seen unfold since then. I think part of the complication though. And, um, I think part of it is, People have a hard time when you are dealing, when you're in the middle of a crisis and you're dealing with all your own feelings and the feelings of the immediate people around you, it's really easy to have that as a center because that's all you can kind of manage. And so I understand why, like, it is hard to think about numbers and big picture things if you're like, you know, staring at, if you have, you know, all this media is coming to you, you don't know what to believe, you don't know what to pay attention to. And then you're just focused on the immediate, right? Like get that toilet paper, feed your kids. Can you go to work? Can I not go to work? Is this a cough? Am I faking a cough? Like whatever it is. And I think that's also part of a part of the stress, right? To be fair to people. Um, I think we have to recognize that as well. No, for sure. And like, I, I feel a bit of anxiety because I'm looking at people I care about back home, uh, jerrying masks to go out because masks aren't available. And like, that's a failure of the CDC. Like the CDC gave advice that is false. They said that like masks were not effective. Uh, well, actually, it was it was it was demonstrably false the second it was given. They were like masks are not effective. Reserve masks for medical personnel. So if masks aren't effective, then why do medical personnel need them? Like, but I think there, I think the other piece though with this is as more tests is done and as time and reports are things are analyzed, people are able to give better advice. And so I think that's something that's interesting about a pandemic is that constant need to evolve, right? In the same way that the virus or the bacteria evolves and adapts, as a society and as people, we have to adapt, right? And so I do think like. There are many cases where experts and scientists have given the best information in that moment, and that moment then was passed. <laughs> so the question is, were they lying or they didn't know? I think we have to take that into account, which is one of the reasons, like you mentioned many times on the show, about media literacy and, and paying attention and why we want to make sure we you know, uh, date stamp our, our conversation, right? And so maybe tomorrow or in a few hours, some of the things we've talked about here could be irrelevant or changed already. Yeah, yes, but like... It's still inexcusable to me. Like, the first case of the virus is in November. We're not talking about November. But, like, by early March, leadership should have had their head around this. And if leaders here in Abu Dhabi could have their head around it, then leaders back home could have. 100%. And I will say that I feel, again, validated another one of my takes that, like, governors are who we should look to as our leaders um, in politics because, uh, well, in particular, like for, for the president, because governors have executive experience. Um, I'm frankly proud as a Washingtonian to watch how Jay Inslee's handled things. Uh, Jay, you'll, you'll notice, by the way, like two weeks ago, it was Washington, Washington. Look how bad it is in Washington. Like Inslee's not even making the news anymore because, again, the outbreak's not contained, but the curves have been bent. Uh, now you've got Brian Kemp, that clown down in Georgia, was all over the news, and DeSantis in Florida, like – Florida's, I'm terrified for Florida, frankly. Like, they have the demographics of Italy. There's 5 million Floridians over the age of 50. Uh, and of course, like Governor Cuomo, like, you don't even see Inslee anymore because, like, he's done such a good job. Like, the places that do a good job in dealing with this vanish from the news. Like, nobody's talking about South Korea. No one's talking about Singapore. No one's talking about Washington State because they, they did the right thing. Like, 
if you look at the trajectory of the virus in the United States, what you see is a growth curve that is not bending and is heading past Italy and past Spain. And like it was preventable. If South Korea was able to contain the outbreak, if UAE could contain the outbreak, then like with the right leadership and forthrightness in America, like we could have done better. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going on a lot, but like Kamau made a point that I really appreciate. Uh, if Barack Obama was in charge during this and was trying to react to the virus in the competent way that I think that he would react to it, Republicans would be screaming bloody murder about him being a dictator. And like, to me, I think one of the lasting lessons of this is, is that like for, until further notice, uh, it's not worth taking serious any Republican concerns about liberty they're expressed about anything because uh, they roll that out whenever they want to and never roll it out to protect black families. Well, if we have this rule, we have to stay in home, then we're going to have to stay in home forever. And, ah. Uh... Well, it's, it's the government coming from my guns. And, like, as a gun owner, shut up with that. <laughs> um, I want to talk, like, really local policy for a second. Uh, Marguerite, who's the pod auntie and host of Move to Tacoma, has been a pretty loud advocate. Well, she's loud in general, but respect her. Uh, she's been loud, a loud advocate for mortgage relief and rent relief. Um, and I think about this as somebody who – we have somebody who's renting our house right now uh, back in Tacoma. And I'm thankful that he uh, he's a teacher, and so like he has a source of income, so he's still paying rent. Uh, not that like that's what's most important to me, but like a lot of folks are in the situation where they're still being paid. Uh, it's well, and I I have been recently seeing more reports across um, the United States of owners who are going ahead and putting a freeze on rent for their you know property. Yeah, and so I think one of the things we can think about and look to, and also just kind of push out ideas for is like how can we help people get through this time and one of the ways that we can do that is to free to freeze mortgages freeze rents i mean you have more information on that but i think that's something that's very practical that would help again alleviate that stress that people have in the moment so that then they can manage their own health they can manage their families and that they can try to to deal with this dumpster fire well but the worst case scenario with this would be that you do something where you say okay mortgages are not going to have to be paid Rents aren't going to have to be paid. Foreclosures aren't going to happen. Um, evictions aren't going to happen. But all that debt keeps accumulating, and it's just due in like giant balloon payments. Like it has to be like full forgiveness or a full moratorium. And like for that to happen, uh, you need government to step in. And what's really frustrating to me, and what Marguerite's pointed out, is a lot of commercial businesses basically are not going to pay their rent. And so commercial businesses are basically able to get a backdoor uh, rent forgiveness, but actually working people can. And this to me is demonstrative of so much of the inequity that's present in the situation. Like we have workers who get paid minimum wage, who we're saying are essential workers and have to show up to work to take care of us, to deliver food to whatever, uh, to deliver Instacart, to deliver uh, Uber, or sorry, to, to, to drive Uber, and like they get none of the protections. It's just like it, this is really to me just unmasking the depth of so much of the injustice and inequality and equity, all the ends at once. Uh, I want to ask you a question. What are your observations about the local government back home and what is recent happening at the city council and the mayoral level? I was going to ask you the exact same question. So, Nate, um, what is your take on the way that Tacoma is handling the crisis in Tacoma and Pierce County as a whole? How do you feel like um, <laughs> our leaders are leading the way? Um, you shouted out Gov Inslee there, and I know you really wanted him to get the bid for presidency. Um, but what's your take on local leaders? I, I, I should have seen that coming. Um, hmm. 
I'm going to start by saying that I supported the current mayor of Tacoma in her election, and I do not regret supporting the current mayor of Tacoma in her election. Uh, The choice between her and Jim Merritt to me was a very obvious and easy choice to make. Uh, That said, I have a lot of questions about the, what I'll say, absence of direction and absence of like certainty for people. Uh, one of the social media posts that like hurt me the most or like, or like made me kind of, kind of seize up was looking at Russ when he closed Doyle's like right before St. Patty's day. Uh, I'm not trying to like spread Russ's business, but like Russ makes a lot of his money for the year on St. Patty's day. And he was able, and he basically made the choice to like cancel the St. Patty's day party, which is the right thing to sacrifice do. Sacrifice for the greater good, man. Sacrifice for the greater good. And like when a business owner does that, like the city should come out and say, we appreciate your sacrifice and here's how we're going to make things right for you. Uh, I have not seen members of the Tacoma city council or frankly county council with the exception of Derek Young, Derek Young uh, being out there and saying like what they're going to do. And so like for me, uh, president Trump gets like whatever an F F F F F F minus uh, governor Inslee gets an A uh, and like local leadership in the city of Tacoma, Pierce County council, frankly, except for Derek Young again, I would give us a D like I'm, I'm disappointed, honestly. D for disappointed. So what would you have liked them to do? Uh, you mentioned the case with Doyle's, but I'm wondering what other specific things you can't think that concretely local leaders should be doing. Small businesses in Tacoma should be able to go to the city and figure out some sort of relief where they can keep workers going or get some sort of subsidi- subsidies for their wages. Uh, there should be some direction coming from the city about like what's going to happen with rent moratoriums. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about spread of the virus through the homeless population. And so one of the things that I saw happen in London is, is that London basically opened up uh, their hotels to their homeless population and homelessness in London has been wiped out. Uh, that to me is demonstrative of what's possible. Like if we really think about taking revolutionary action and taking, and taking big change, we can actually have, uh, we can have like big drastic changes in society, but like just in general, like city leadership seems absent. Like I'm not hearing, and you know, I, I have had many members of city council on the show. Uh, I can myself friends with some folks on city council, uh, but like I, I don't hear them right now. And I feel like people, and, and, and here's the thing, it's like I'm also, you know, 13 hours away, but like people in the city need to feel like they hear and see their leaders. And I don't feel like people back home hear and see their leaders. And that disappoints me. Yeah, I think even just transparency, um, like I appreciate I'm on a few mailing lists, so I constantly get some emails from uh, Marty Campbell and just like the the transparency about what is being, what is attempt to be done, or at least like here I am. And so I do care about you kind of thing. And I think that's to your point, right? So even if you don't know how to lead in your community in a particular way, or you're looking for creative ways of managing the situation, yeah. um, people need to see you, right? People need to hear from you. People need to feel like, um, calm from your leadership, even if you don't feel calm yourself, or if, even if you don't know what to do. I don't think I don't think people want you know fake leaders or leaders who just like lie through their teeth about whatever is and isn't happening. I don't I don't think people want that either. But I think they do want to see their leaders um, out front having conversations and being open to hearing what's going on with people. I actually want to take another crack at the question you asked me because I'm thinking about a concrete thing I like to see. Uh, I talked about Craig Saylor having like having to navigate the system. Uh, the mayor of Tacoma and the Pierce County, uh, Pierce County executive should be able to, or should go to, should go on media and say, if you feel like you are symptomatic, here's where you can go. If you feel like you have 
uh, medical needs, here's where you need to go. If you're uninsured, here's where you need to go. Like, what are the options? I feel like so many people have so much uncertainty that government should be able to kind of unlock. And the Pierce County Health Department and the city of Tacoma, based on like what I'm seeing in media, are not communicating with people who need information. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody who is a reporter for the News Tribune, who like covers government, doesn't know what to do, then think about like the low information, and that's that's a slur I shouldn't use, but like think about what the people who aren't news junkies, uh, the information gaps they have, and like how they don't know and how direct, how much direction they lack. Like we have to do a better job at the municipal and county level communicating to people. Yeah, I appreciate um, some of the work Evelyn Lopez is doing in regards to getting that information out. But again, right, we're thinking about. Our, our network, our yeah. podcast listeners, and people who are interested in, in helping other folks in that way. Um, we're visible, right? But not visible in the same way that our elected leaders are. Yeah, straight up. Crossing Division is the most important show on the network right now uh, with the information they're putting out. Uh, Hope, I think I want to wrap this up. Sounds good. Um, I you're, you're my guest today. And so I want to ask you the question that I've been asking people recently as part of the wind down. It's wine for the wind down. It's wind down. Uh, Hope, who is somebody that people who are listening to this should also be listening to? It could be an author, a podcast, uh, somebody in media. Like, who should folks who are listening to this also listen to? What should they be adding to their diet? So someone that I'm really enjoying listening to on my patio balcony walks um, is the show Deconstructed with Mende Hassan. And I'm really enjoying um, just kind of the people that he has on there to be interviewed um, and thinking about the virus as a whole, thinking about kind of a global context. And I really appreciate the critique and the criticism and also just the lens that he brings. So I really recommend people add that to their podcast listening. Yeah. In a just world, Mende Hassan would be the host of Meet the Press. Uh, He comes to us from Al Jazeera over in neighboring Doha. And then uh, he also writes for The Intercept. He's a great listener and a great follow on Twitter, actually. He uh, he gets buck online for sure. Uh, Hope, if people want to follow you on the socials or want to listen to your show, where should they look? Um, so I'm part of Channel 253, and the show is called Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. And you can find us anywhere else. You can find Nerd Farmer. Um, we're also on Twitter at IWL underscore podcast. We're also on Facebook. Um, and so also you can follow um, the podcast and my own writing at hopeteague.com. Thank you for coming on the show. And more importantly, thank you for being my partner. Thanks. Appreciate you. Wakanda forever, y'all. Bye. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. I'm joined by fellow Channel 253 host, Hope Bowling. Hi. That's so brief of you. Welcome to the Interchangeables no, no, Podcast. No, no, no. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.